0: Welcome back to The Chosen Life, episode 78, with The Chosen Lawyer and Wayne Frazier of Doug Laurie Sports. Wayne, welcome back to The Chosen Life.
1: Good morning, Jonathan. Glad to be here.
0: Greetings and salutations, as they used to say on the radio talk shows back in the day. (laughs) Before we get started today, Wayne, uh, I see uh, some items hiding behind you. One of them being looks like a very fashionable Toronto Blue Jays jacket.
1: So that uh, that came in a week or two ago, and it's over this shoulder, I think, there. That is a early 90s chalk line original Toronto Blue Jays jacket. They're pretty tough to come by, pretty desirable for people who are collectors of jackets and clothing. There are a lot of people who collect, like, starter brand stuff, uh, you know, specific types of hats and things like that. Jackets worth between 150 and $250, depending on condition. This one is really nice. I haven't sent it in to be dry cleaned yet. I probably will unless the buyer wants to do that themselves. Um, But that was a, was a purchase that I got along with. I I have what appears to be probably the only actual bound edition. Actually, it might be right here. Hold on. Bound edition of the all-star game program from that year. And there's no reason for this other than that the lady that I bought the jacket from worked for a bookbinding company and decided to have her copy of the program professionally bound, which is kind of neat. And so I've hung on to it. It doesn't have any particular value, maybe 25 to 50 bucks because the program is pristine. But it would be a neat thing to get some people to autograph, you know, to get uh, players in silver on. That would be kind of neat. Uh, the only other thing I'll I'll show you here a couple quickies, please. That is a an autograph of Felicity Jones as Jen Urso in the Star Wars uh, pantheon. I'm not a particular Star Wars follower, uh, but that card just sold for about six hundred dollars Canadian. Um, there is some very expensive Star Wars stuff out there outside of Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and things like that. I have an Adam Driver autograph as. What's his name? Oh shoot! I just blanked. The new bad guy, uh, Kylo Ren, is that his name? I think, or yes, something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which is a seven hundred and fifty to a thousand dollar card. And this is—I don't know if I—if anybody may have seen these or not before. This is actually—it's a Lord Stanley's cup, and that's actually a written word from Lord Stanley. So, the owner of this company, uh, Brian Price, is a friend of mine. And they put this in, they had a product called Solid Gold, in which every uh, box had a piece of a George Vesna pad in it. This is one of the other products, is they found a small uh, note from uh, Stanley, and they cut it up and put each a word in each card. So that you actually have something written by Lord Stanley. His autographs are pretty expensive. Um, but that card being a one-of-one one in the sense it's the only word. And I like that one because it has the word ID on it. Sometimes you just get a or the or whatever else, whatever's more common. Um, pretty neat piece for somebody who's a hockey historian that, uh, you know, would enjoy uh, having something written by or something that actually Lord Stanley touched, right? So
0: I got to ask you, cause I've never asked you this question. So let's, let's go for it now. Why don't we, as yourself as being a sports historian lover of sports you know um how do you feel in general about taking a piece of memorabilia let's say a a letter written by lord stanley and keeping it pristine as the letter versus cutting it up into you know a hundred pieces and putting them inside of the cards like how is your feeling of it some people are okay with it because it makes more memorabilia for other people it feels like desecration the same way they cut up a bat cut up a jersey how do you feel about them wayne
1: i can see both sides of the issue and you know uh... My look at it, my, the way I take it, is if it's something that's sort of a one of a kind kind of thing, then I have I have some issue with it. And and Dr. Price and I have had this discussion about him having George Vesna's pads, right? And they were offered back to the Hall of Fame, and you know, and the Hall of Fame just didn't want to pony up for them. And I understand that. Um, you know, is it nice to think that somebody has? George Vesna's pads sitting in their house somewhere, I guess. On the other hand, I know an awful lot of people who've had a lot of joy in getting those cards, you know, with a piece of the jersey in them. I can understand from the standpoint of somebody who says, well, you know, cutting up a Babe Ruth jersey or something else, I have no issue with things that are more current because they almost now almost entirely – specifically get that memorabilia and it's ticketed to be used for those purposes right away right it's when you're going back and doing older things that there are some questions but you know it's i do have some hesitation about it but i would be a hypocrite to say as i sit here and hold that card i would be hypocritical of me to say oh i'm totally against that i'm not um i just think there are instances there are a few things that if you said to me okay well um, we found Jackie Robinson's first uniform with the Brooklyn Dodgers or the Montreal Royals. And we're going to cut that up and put it into cards. I'd, I'd have some concerns about that. And Dr. Price and I have talked about the Vesna ad thing before, and it was a difficult decision for him too. Right. But in his mind, he thought, you know what, more people are going to be able to enjoy this. And, it, and it's been true. That's a hundred percent true. There's no way to argue that even if the piece goes back to the hockey hall of fame, how many people actually go get to go to the hockey hall of fame and, and wander and see it. Right. And then it's just behind glass. So. If, I, it, I,
0: if it even makes it there, because people don't realize from the hall of fames, how much merch they're sitting on. That's not displayed. Cause you only have so much amount of display room. So some items sit in storage, literally for a lifetime they don't make it out so i think people forget about that but the one question i was going to ask you before we move on to our topics today is uh when i saw the jacket i was expecting to see a ttc jacket back there uh you know that's the latest (laughs) memorabilia craze i don't know if you've been hearing this thing but uh you know have you heard a guy named drake by any chance drizzy
1: uh singer i've seen him in memes
0: so the meme guy yes yeah, You know, the guy places big bets, loses them, you know, the mm-hmm. curse guy. So he wanders into a place called Chopper's Drug Mart, you know, which is uh, like K-Farm or whatever you call it in the States. And he walks in the middle of the night, you know, with his basket, you know, buying, you know, his uh, soaps and whatever, deodorants. And he's wearing a TTC jacket, which is our public transit system. And those jackets are now going for 1000 to $2,000 on eBay, Kijiji, Kijiji. Uh, <laughs> Why, Wayne? Why do people see a celebrity wear something and they have to have it?
1: Um, You know what? I mean, good on. I I have a buddy who uh, has a really incredible collection of Vladimir Guerrero junior cards, and he has been driving for the TTC for probably eight or ten years now, and I guarantee you if I call him when I get off the podcast here and say, have you sold any of your older jackets yet, he will have he will have dug something out of his closet and sold it already. Right. Um, You know, I, I don't really see the appeal of it. I mean, so the guy's wearing the TTC jacket and you're going to run out and pretend you're a bus driver or a transit worker. You know, if you're going to do that, go get a job with the TTC eh? they're hiring. They're looking for drivers and people to work for them. Right. And then you get to wear the jacket all the time and face the abuse that the TTC workers face Um, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for the opportunity for TTC workers to possibly cash in. Uh, what I would like to see is I would like, it would be very helpful for Drake to go to the TTC, go to the city and say, Hey, um, let's take this opportunity for me to do a video driving one of your city buses, uh, and see if we can maybe help get you recruit some guys in here, some, not guys, some people in here to drive. The buses and do the other work that you need done so i think there's an opportunity here for drake to do something good for the city also and it's it's just funny again i'm not going to uh, say anything bad about somebody who spends a thousand dollars on a ttc jacket when six hundred dollars uh
0: you know well wayne if you call your ttc friend you never know maybe you'll be making a thousand dollars i'll tell you going into our first topic of today's agenda though If you want to talk about an opportunist, there's this person out there in the world of sports that he has 30 lives, seemingly. His name is Isaiah Thomas. You remember Isaiah Thomas? Yeah,
1: I remember him.
0: First. uh, So, okay. So basketball hall of famer, part of the bad street boys in Detroit and uh, you know, not the most favorite uh, opponent for people to face. Goes to the hall of fame. First general manager of the Toronto Raptors, not mistaken. He helped uh, draft Mighty Mouse, did not leave so well. Uh, President of New York Knicks, did not end so well. Started up the D League, G League, which was a good idea or was part of that group, did not end so well. Everywhere he goes, Wayne, it doesn't seem to end so well. So I didn't think, you know, we're going to be hearing very much from IZ anymore. He's made his money. He's gone off to greener pastures. Turns out there's a big flackle on basketball uh, social media lines out there because apparently Isaiah is pulling the strings behind the scenes for the new Suns owner, Phoenix Suns owner. So he always finds somebody to whisper into their ear. He's on that guy's board of directors, by the way, for his company. And so apparently he's going to be getting a plum job with the Suns. That's the rumor. But apparently he came to the Suns and said, I think it'd be a really good idea to acquire Bradley Beal from the Wizards and give them nothing. So, Wizards listen and and, uh, Suns listen. And next thing you know, Bradby Bill is being traded to the Suns. Chris Paul, uh, how old is he now? 65, I think. He's being moved with some uh, second-round draft picks and some Pez going the other way. Teams are up in arms. How is this possible that they got him so cheap? Well, apparently he's got no trade clause, Wayne. And with the no trade clause, I'm only going to go here or I'm going to do nothing Wayne, what is going on in the world of sports when you're making like 50, 60 million dollars a year and you can decide where you go? Your team gets nothing for you. And Isaiah Thomas is involved with this. Help me, Wayne.
1: I have read quite a bit about this trade. And it's interesting in that it seems to be a pretty equal split of people who said, say, the Washington Wizards got absolutely nothing for, for Bradley Beal and another half of the people who say the Washington wizards were able to at least get something and get rid of his contract, which is an awful, awful contract. Right. So I view it as again, when you're looking at a trade and the, there seems to be sort of a 50, 50 split as to who won the trade. It's not a bad trade, right? I think from the le- from the standpoint of the Wizards, it's weird in the sense that Ted Leonsis, the owner of the of the well the Capitals also, but the of the Wizards, said last year when he gave Bradley Beal the no trade clause, or when the team did, with basically no prompting, is my understanding of it. You know, he said, "I view this more as a partnership than I do as a demand." Um, this is a loyalty thing. And Ted Leonsis, to his credit, loyalty is a, a big, a big thing in his organizations. It appears that way, right? But there's four years left on Beale's contract. And in 26-27, he has a player option for $57 million. You know, there's a pretty good argument that no matter where, almost no team that Bradley Beale would go to, would he be. The number one option any longer right he's a really good player he's not a great player any longer so the cap the cash keep i'm gonna keep saying capitals uh the wizards not the bullets not the 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 bullets anymore no i was there when they were the bullets actually briefly um they clear the they clear that contract out they get back a bag of of draft picks that don't really mean anything in switching draft picks, blah, 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 blah. Right.
0: No first round picks.
1: No, no first round picks at all. Um, my gosh, the uh, other fellow's name involved in the trade escapes me. He's not a bad player, but he's just kind of there. Right. The possibility exists though, that you may get some assets back flipping Chris Paul to a third team because of his expiring contract. Paul is either 38 or I think 39, right? He probably has one more year that he can play. He I mean he took a step backwards last year. He was injured the year before partially. <clears throat> so the Wizards the Wizards could get some pretty good uh you know somebody who wants to take that contract on for an expiring contract. They could probably do a pretty good job there. From the standpoint of Phoenix I get that you're creating a super team. But you're now paying Bradley Beal to be the third option behind Durant and uh, Devin Booker, right? And you've put yourself in a situation where I think they have five guys signed for 170 million dollars, so they're already above the the cap, the tax, right? They're on the second tax level. The second tax, tier, level. Rather, yep. the second tax yep. level, right? Yep. Without doing anything else, and you've got that going forward for for some time. You've just traded away, what, 25, 27, 29 in unprotected first-round picks. And it could get worse based on the new CBA I read that it's possible that depending on how far of the tax you are, even if you're the worst team in the league, if you're above that, you go to the back of the line for the first round. You lose that pick, basically. right? It basically becomes the first, first pick of the second round. So whether that happens or not, it is a distinct possibility. What are you betting on Beal to become? Well, he is a scorer. You've already got scorers. He's not really a defender. So you're going to try and outscore, which flies in the face of sort of what Denver just did to win the championship, right? And Phoenix looked like they were kind of headed down that road a couple of years ago, and then all of a sudden they just blew the team up and, and did whatever, right? The best case scenario here is that Bradley Beal starts shooting the lights out as a three point shooter and his floor space, it creates more floor space and it makes everybody better. And Phoenix outscores everybody to death. Does that work in the playoffs? No. Could you be 65 and 17 and lose in the second round? Yes, very clearly you could, right? I, I don't want to, fa- I never want to fault an owner for spending money. Good on, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Ish Ishbia. Good on Matt Ishbia or Ishbia or whatever it is. Good on him on spending the money. I- I'm glad to see somebody going out there and, you know, dropping their own money, trying to make the team great. Future be damned. We think we can win a, a, a title right now. But boy, oh boy, if this doesn't work in a year or two, they they've hamstrung the team for almost what another five or six years going forward. and Beal's tr- no trade clause transfers to Phoenix. so you can't even move him if you want to move him unless unless the thing blows up and then there's a pretty good chance that you could probably. But then again, he controls his own destiny again, right I I don't look at athletes much differently than I look at accountants or dick diggers or anything like that. You should have the opportunity to play wherever you want to play. Right. And it doesn't sound like, and even if they did, if, even if Bradley Beal said, I'm not signing a contract, unless you give be a no cl- a trade clause. They did. So don't hold it against the person for exercising the rights you gave him in a contract. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's a little, it's a little frustrating and it's a little uh, disheartening to know that there is so much, power falling into the hands of some of these players that they can just it seems like they can just kind of manipulate the league but again as uh you know i'm not the biggest union guy in the world either right and yeah you can come at me about that too but but i do believe that you have the right to control your own destiny where you want to work or whatever else and once you sign the contract then you abide by that contract right the thing that bothers me is when people try to force their way out
0: I cannot wait to see this offseason where James Harden and Kyrie Irving go. Uh, as far as you consider the two biggest malcontents in the league, if I was an owner, a GM, president, I don't want them on my team. I don't care how talented they are. It's not worth it. It's not going to mm-hmm. work. It's just not going to work. They're going to come into the locker room and it's not going to work because they've been out partying all night or they've gone on social media or Lord knows whatever. I want someone who keeps their head down and just plays the game and that's it. So it'll be very interested to see where they go, by the way. I, I'm gonna take it they're not going to Phoenix, obviously, because they're too loaded. I don't think Miami's gonna take them. It's funny, I thought Bill was gonna for sure go to Miami. Yeah. Um you know, they were gonna give Kyle Lowry and a couple of guys and whatever they were gonna to put together there. But how does Isaiah Thomas do? That? How does he stay relevant after the Knicks? After the D League, G League, like how does this man do it? Like, is he that personable? Is he that pleasant? Like, he seems like a very nice, smooth talker. Uh, apparently, people that are friends with him, love the guy. People don't like him, don't like him. But how does this man keep doing it? And how does he have the ear of the Phoenix Suns owner?
1: Well, apparently, they're really good friends. I mean, and and look, let's assume that. Uh, you suddenly became worth $2 billion or whatever this guy's worth, right? And for some reason, you had a contact who knew Isaiah Thomas or you had met him through some function or something like that, and you thought, I'm thinking about buying the Phoenix Suns. Who can I talk to about this? Well, there's a whole bunch of guys you can talk to about this, but if for some reason you have a contact with Isaiah Thomas already – Isaiah Thomas is a very personable guy by all accounts. I mean, as you said, he's either, there doesn't seem to be much middle ground on him. There's a lot of people who don't like him, but clearly the guy has, uh, you know, the personality and has the people skills to find his way into situations where, and it's not like he doesn't, he doesn't know things. He definitely does know things. It's whether the execution works out in the end. And I think what it, it's it's one of those situations maybe where you know sometimes Mike Keenan or John Tortorella or whoever the hard ass is I don't think guys uh, and and this is a case of Ted Williams management style also right sometimes guys who are really really good players make lousy coaches because they expect them players to be hey weren't you as good as I was right well I because I don't have the talent you did. Or maybe I didn't work as hard when I was younger, or whatever else. Some guys can handle that, and some guys, depending on you know their personality, it rubs people the wrong way, and they're out. Right? They get tuned out, and they're out. That may be the camp that Thomas falls into. But look again. I can't blame the owner for spending money. I can't blame the owner for throwing all in. I mean, if you're a Phoenix Sun fan, Suns fan, are you not looking at this and going, "Holy crap"? Look at this team, right? We thought we were going to be good last year. They were good last year. But now we did this too. There should be parades for Matt Ishbia or Ishbia in Phoenix. People should be asking him to run for mayor, and that would be a huge pay cut for him, right? So, that I mean, that's the kind of owner you want. As Toronto fans, don't we complain about that all the time with the Jays? Why don't they spend more money? I don't know. That doesn't always prove to be successful, right? But in basketball – of the four sports, I think basketball is the one where you can sort of buy your way at least into the second round of the playoffs, right?
0: Matt should be talking to Steve Cohen about that because Matt's <laughs> been having an interesting season. And, and finishing off on basketball, I'm going to throw you one loop if you want to go there or not. But I was reading late last night, by the way, an interesting conspiracy theory because I love my conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories that followed this man throughout his career. And afterwards, his name is Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and Michael Jordan selling his interest in the Charlotte Bobcats slash Hornets. And there's a conspiracy theory going around, by the way, that Michael, for his branding and everything else, he's selling his interest because he is broke. Have you heard that one?
1: I've read something about that. I would never say that there's no chance that somebody who has the alleged gambling issues that Michael Jordan had or has might be broke. Do I think Michael Jordan is broke? I don't think so. I think maybe at this point. I mean, Michael is now, what, 60? He's he's got to be Getting close, right? Getting closer there, right? It's gotta be the 60s. And I, I don't think he's had the most pleasant of experiences owning that franchise, right? I are part of that franchise, at least, whatever. I and plus, I think the number was two billion
0: or three billion.
1: Or... Yeah, something like that. Sure. Look, if you're not absolutely married to if somebody wa- I love this store, but if somebody walked in here and said, I will give you five million dollars for all your inventory and for you to go away, buy. I'll go do something else, right? Because that's a really good deal for me. Look, I think if, if Michael Jordan owned the Chicago Bulls, it might be harder for him to walk away from a deal like that. But I didn't hear anything that he was actively shopping the team, right? I didn't remember reading that. And if somebody came up to Michael Jordan and said, hey, we've got a deal in place to buy you out, and it's a two with a B behind it, you might go, uh, Do you have the paperwork with you right now? Because I mean, realistically, what is the value of that? I mean, I get it's an NBA franchise, but I mean, it's Charlotte, nothing against the city of Charlotte, which is a wonderful city, but it's not the biggest market in the world. It's not the most famous team in the world. That seems like a lot of money. Now I don't know what else is involved in that. Right. But there's, there's, if in, in in fact, Michael Jordan is having financial difficulties, and we'll put that in air quotes, there is Michael Jordan broke, and then there's broke. Michael Jordan still has contracts with all these, you know, French, the all these big companies and everything else. He has an exclusive, exclusive deal with Upper Deck. He can call Upper Deck anytime he needs money and says, hey, I want to sign 500 jerseys and whatever else. And that's probably a quarter million dollars. Boom. Like that, right? So, broke is a relative term.
0: Well, his buddy, who apparently is the one buying the Hornets from him, so his buddy told him it would be a really good idea. This is what I was reading the other night. Uh, Literally last night as we were preparing our taping, and I was doing my research. So, apparently, his buddy tells him it's a really good idea to short on GameStop, the video game. (laughs) Yeah. And so his buddy lost, I don't know, in whatever billions he lost. Jordan apparently lost 500 million shorting this thing. And that combined with whatever else, you know, remember, he's also got that house in Chicago. You've seen this with the gates, with his number. He he created this custom house for himself in in Chicago. And it's been sitting for what, 10 years, 15 years. And he can't sell the bloody thing. The house is what, 20 million, 50 million, whatever crazy number it is. And it costs a lot of money to upkeep this house and it's sitting vacant. And so, but that should be a drop in the bucket. But like you said, there are people like Shaquille O'Neal that you read about him. He put $250,000 into Google back in the day because he heard a conversation from somebody that's worth 400 million now. He owns in the uh, company, he gave part of his licensing rights to his likeness and he bought into a company that owns the likeness to Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. Everything Shaq turns to gold. Everything Jordan turns to... touches uh, I don't know the same thing and if I had to say that Jordan had a particular connection to anything I don't think he has any connection to the Bulls anymore I think it's Charlie being in his hometown and everything made sense I think it's a good thing to have Jordan you know as an owner in the public imagery part of it but how the team has done and his crankiness and moodiness I don't think it's worked so well so I think they kind of came to him and said you want to keep your legacy everything else take the three billion Go and, you know, keep selling shoes. Go to Jordan, you know, uh, brand number 39, 45, whatever number shoe they're on. And just keep making your millions and billions and being a bastard to the game. But you don't need this, maybe. That's how I'm thinking about it. But regardless, uh, Jordan's moving on and he's cashing in big time. Look, if the Ottawa Senators, hey, where all you living in the States or wherever you're in the world, good, good luck in finding Ottawa on the map, by the way. They have a professional hockey team and what that's worth a billion bucks. So if that's worth a billion bucks, which includes land as well, by the way. So that's a little different, but sure as heck, then I would say an NBA team for sure. Two mil, three mil. So,
1: yeah, I guess so. And, and, um, you know, like I, I think you're right too. I think the public image of Michael Jordan, I won't say it's taken a hit, but I will say that people now kind of have two minds about Jordan, Jordan, the player, and then Jordan sort of the, after the, uh. After Blast. the career sort of thing, right? Have I, have I mentioned before, You we talked about Shaq, that uh, a friend of mine, actually, Brad Straubinger, did a deal with uh, uh, an interview with him a while back and asked him about kind of what his, he thought his biggest regret was in business, that he was approached to be the face of Starbucks. I think we talked about yes. that one. I... And, and And he turned it down because he said that he didn't ever see black people drink coffee when he was growing up. That was his, that was his reason for it. He said, none of us, we drank tea or iced tea or whatever. And it ended up magic Johnson ended up buying into that. And he said, I can't imagine how much money I lost there. And he goes, but I just made the decision based on personal, my personal thing there people are not going to drink coffee at Starbucks in the South. Right. So he's not infallible. Right.
0: He was going to be the, the owner face of Starbucks in LA. Okay, mm-hmm. in LA. Which, yeah, they drink a little bit of cups of coffee there. Uh, <laughs> Shaq drives by Starbucks. He wants to vomit every single time, guaranteed. Now, moving on from one opportunist to another. We have not talked about this. You and I, this is our first time discussing this. We've mentioned on the show before that it's coming. Wayne, I'm going to say two words to you. You can start your rant. Three, two, one. Kyle Dubas, go.
1: I'll say two words back to you. Good riddance. I... Uh... Look, I don't wish any ill will to Kyle Dubas. I just don't understand the people who thought he was a boy genius or whatever else. I mean, he wasn't even all that successful in Sault Ste. Marie when he got hired there. I mean, they were okay. What was so amazing about what he did there. But look, look, everybody comes in with a vision of what they want to do. And the vision for Kyle Dubas was we're going to turn this into a a quick, fast scoring team. We're going to rely on mobile defensemen. We're going to rely on, but we're going to score, right? It's all well and good. You built a team that scores. You built a team that scores that is not built for the playoffs. You built a team that has no grit whatsoever. Anytime somebody shows some grit, they seem to get moved. So you've had five years to build that and it hasn't worked. Goodbye don't wish you any ill will. I hope things go well for you with Pittsburgh. Well, no, I don't hope they go that well, but, but I mean, I hope things work out for you in Pittsburgh. Um, But I don't really get the fascination with, you know, what did this guy do that was so wonderful, right? And you want to argue about, okay, well, he would have been better except Shanahan and the board was meddling in what he was doing or whatever else. Well, I didn't hear any of that over the last couple of years. And he was certainly, it seemed like he was willing to come back. And the, for whatever reason, the Leafs are willing to bring him back. I didn't understand that at all. And then I, th- I think that Pittsburgh found they found he found out that Pittsburgh was interested and I can go do this and not be in the most intense hockey market in the world and I'll see you later, right? So I, as my mother would have said, don't let the, Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Have a good time in Pittsburgh. You know, am I super hired about having Brad from laving as the new uh, GM? No, I'm not super excited about that. But I don't know who else there was that I think would do a better job. And I don't really blame much of what happened in Calgary on him. So I'm very interested to see now, okay, I got my wish. We brought in somebody else who was willing to have Daryl Sutter as the coach of a team somebody who is willing to move on from malcontents. Let's see what happens, right? Let's see what kind of moves are going to be made. I know that if you said, which of the core four do we have to move on from? I know who I would pick, but we can't. Because they gave him a no trade clause. You know, Tavares is the one who should be moving on really. Um, In terms of what makes sense financially, if you said... Wayne tell us who you would like to move out of the four just on personal level. It's Matthews a hundred percent Matthews. If, if they don't have a deal signed by the draft, which is, I think this coming weekend and next week, next week, next weekend, trade yeah. him, Yeah, trade him. Cause I don't care. I hear all these, Oh, he wants to sign here. And I, I saw Elliot Friedman had what he thought was the deal, which is eight years with $1 million salaries and 13 or $14 million signing bonuses. And I'm not a capologist enough to know how that would help the team, but I'm assuming that's something that would help the team, right? I don't think that there's a hundred percent certainty. I don't even necessarily know it's 75% that if you don't have him signed by July 1st, when the no trade kicks in, that he doesn't just say, I'm just going to play the year out and then see what happens.
0: Um, Save your thoughts on Austin Austin Matthews. I will have him back in a moment. I promise. We're going somewhere with him. Dubis, I want to get back to him for a moment because here's how I see it, Wayne. I think that he has posters of Alex Anthopoulos up on his wall (laughs) and he followed the Alex Anthopoulos script to a T. I think he thought, I am the hockey version of Alex Anthopoulos. You know, I want more power. I'm not going to get it. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to, to a team in the States. I'm going to get this eventually. And I'm going to win me a World Series slash Stanley Cup. The difference being between Anthopolis and Dubis is, is Anthopolis gambled and buffed, bluffed his way when he had nothing in his back pocket. Back pocket excuse me. When Anthopolis left, he just left. They brought in Mark Shapiro, Shapiro, whatever his name is. And Anthopolis said, you know what? I don't like this for me. I want this and this. They said, we'd love to keep you. But under this role, he said, "I'm screw this. I'm out of here. He ended up being an assistant GM with the Dodgers for a while. And then he ended up going to the Braves and just winning a world series. Hmm. I think Dubis, when he had his little conversation, his press conference, I think he had his back pocket knowing deep down, I know that Penguins job is going to be there. And if I'm him, I get to not be the GM. I get to be the president. I get to go hang out with Sidney Crosby and Malkin. And I get to go be in that hockey market and in that city and away from all the BS in Toronto I'm taking that in a second. So I think good on him. I will take it in a second. They see him. He's a good looking guy. He looks good with the glasses. And they're like, yeah, that guy is a good looking guy. He can do the job for sure. Let's bring him on, you know? Where he was really powerful was when he had Lula Morello and Mark Hunter. They had that three-headed structure. That's uh-huh. when everything got put together. Hunter leaves, Lula leaves. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how the strength is now. But now... He's bought himself some time because if anything goes wrong, uh, it's the coach, it's the GM, it's the coach, a GM. I'm just right. the president here, so I think that was really smart on him. So we'll see where it goes, but I can certainly tell you this much: if he does win that Stanley Cup, uh, he is going to be even worse than what's the Iron Man of the NHL again? What's his name?
1: Uh, I I can't tell you how how happy I was to hear Kessel call them out, Bill oh, Kessel. Just makes me laugh. I love it. And then, you know, the crazy thing is, yes, some ice I read last week. You know, who would be a great fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs next year? A veteran with a low salary who could play on the fourth line is Phil Kessel. I was like, there's no way Kessel's coming back here. Not a
0: chance. Phil Kessel, who left Boston as a malcontent, left Toronto as a malcontent, even though they gave him that giant contract and, you know, he did okay with them. I don't think it was entirely his fault. But man, you know, he was watching Nazem Kadri win the Stanley Cup with uh, Colorado. And he said, I want to do this as well. And I got to bring up the Maple Leafs, which he did. Wayne, are you shocked that the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights are your Stanley Cup champion this year?
1: No, I'm not shocked. I had them winning the West. And I think if I remember correctly, I picked them in five to win the cup when we were on. You last
0: did. You
1: did. I'll, I'll bring that up myself. Um no, I, I think when you talk about organizations, right? Uh, the the owner of the uh, the Knights, Bill Foley, who is not—I mean, he's worth one point five billion. He's not a hugely, hugely guy. There, the Maloofs are involved there also, but he had a very clear vision when he bought the team, and he very publicly stated, "I want to be in the playoffs by year three, and I want to cu- I want a cup by year six. And he went out to George McPhee. He hired the right guy. They made amazing moves, right? They, this, uh, and it didn't hurt. But it certainly helped that the NHL really bent over to give them some really good players, right? I mean, you look at then when the what the Kraken got, and the Kraken have done very well for what they got, but they didn't have nearly the pick of the litter the way that. Vegas did right
0: they made the Stanley Cup final in their first year well that never happens
1: well it never happens and but on top of that George McPhee played that entire situation like a fiddle you know well we won't take that guy but you give us this draft pick and you do that and the, and he basically he advanced that team not only look them going to the cup in the first year is kind of a fluke that's a you know it's just one of those things it's like Edmonton going in the eighth slot in like 2005 or six, right? Sometimes that stuff just happens. Vegas had a pretty good team. They got hot at the right time. They went all the way to the cup. But that's not something I'm going to say, oh, that's George McPhee. He built this team to win the cup in year one. He didn't, right? He actually built it so that they could build relatively quickly with good draft picks. They made picks, good picks with those picks. And then when McPhee got kicked upstairs of his own doing and they brought Kelly McCrimmon in, McCrimmon just did exactly what McPhee had been building on. So to to look at that organization and see the depth that they had, look at the goaltending situation in comparison. You brought this up last time. In comparison with the Leafs, it's like every goaltender they brought in, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good. All of them could do the job, and there were four or five deep there. It seemed how, like they just how do, you win, ne- how
0: do you win a Stanley Cup with your fifth string goaltender? You'd never
1: see that. How is yeah. that possible? How did I Aiden mean, nil, what what's what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, who won the con Smise Trophy? Jonathan Marchessault, right? A guy right. who was left unprotected in that draft by Florida, right? You know, that just tells you that not only did they make the right picks, not only do they have incredible organizational depth, they also know how to use guys in the right situations in that, in that franchise, right? They pick guys to go in specific situations and they let them play. So, you know, am I surprised they won this year? No, I'm not surprised at all. Um, But am I surprised at how quickly that organization was able to get up and running? I mean, just at full speed, hit the ground running. That's, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody has written a book. I don't know. What it is, but I'm sure somebody has written a book, and if they haven't, they will now, about kind of the history of from the time that Foley bought the team until they hit the ice the first year. That's a hell of a story to recount, right? And I would read that.
0: I, I would go from the second that they found out they're getting the team to the time they win the Stanley Cup, the whole dynamics of building that organization, building, I think, because remember, they're, they're not up and running for quite a while, but they're still in the mm-hmm. background getting everything together. They're putting mm-hmm. the team together, scouts together. It's not that they just start up at the draft. They were started up way, way before then. So even you think about you know, a Jack Eichel. A Jack Eichel is a franchise player. They scored a franchise player. You know They bought him on the low, and sure enough, he wins a cup with them. It, that's not a shocker to me.
1: And remember that when that Eichel deal went down, there were an awful lot of people who said, this is a stupid move. Eichel may not ever play again because of his neck. He might be restricted in what he can do, right? Eichel's a malcontent because he wants to get the treatment that he wants to get. He doesn't like the assessment that the Buffalo doctors are giving him, right? Turned out he was right. He was right. And the And the, and the Vegas Knights, who got him for not a whole lot, were right, too.
0: Listen, uh, nothing against Buffalo been there many, many times, but anybody who's traveling the world and is on the highway and gets to Buffalo, I don't see many, all too many all inclusive resorts over there. And for (laughs) a reason now got to ask you a question, Wayne, you're the Toronto Maple Leafs GM and you get a phone call. It's draft night, right? Mm -hmm. We'll give you the first overall pick Connor Bedard. And all you got to give us is Austin Matthews. Do you hang up the phone or do you sign the papers?
1: I, I run over there with pizzas and uh, bottles of champagne to hand around hundred percent I I would give them Austin Matthews and something else because you're only talking about having you know if they said that oh we can take math if they knew that they had Matthews in a uh sorry a friend of mine walking by out in the hallway here we're we're I'm podcasting from a mall so we're not open yet but Friends are watching my studio. (laughs) Um, You know, if the Blackhawks knew that they had Matthews signed, they could do it was a sign and trade kind of thing, right? You know, would you make that deal? If I was the Blackhawks, I would very greatly consider it. If I was the the Leafs, I would not hesitate at all, right? And that's a big gamble and. I know people are like, oh, you you're crapping on Austin Matthews all the time. If he's even if he scores 60 goals a year, which he didn't this year, I don't think he's worth 14 and a half million dollars for eight years. I just don't. Um,
0: they, maybe in an unlimited cap situation. Yes, I exactly. Yes. But in, in a sense, when your cap dollars are so precious. Mm-hmm. I would say it, it hamstring, like they were so humstrung without giving him that contract. I don't see how they're going to be able to do this and actually feel the team. They're going to have to have a seven string goalie at that point. Uh, Connor Bedard though was funny because if I could have bet that money on it, I saw him going to the Blackhawks. It's one of those situations where the ping pong ball is weighted or it's stuck to your <laughs> hand, you know, LeBron James happens to go to Cleveland. Cindy Crosby happens to go to the Penguins. I was assured that th- this happened again. This, the Ducks finished second, right? Mm-hmm. You remember that look on uh, on uh, Brian Burke's face <laughs> when, when the Penguins won it? He's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah. I lo- my career is over." Because right. you know, you get the, you you get this guy, you, you get Sidney Crosby to the Ducks. It's a way different franchise. Like they had Paul Kariya. Right. This is Paul Kariya on steroids. Like this is Paul Kariya. Not that I'm saying that because Crosby uses steroids, but Sidney uh, Crosby on the Ducks. For all this time, like imagine any organization that would have been fortunate to have Sidney Crosby. Like he's a Marilyn Mule, Wayne Gretzky. Now we look at Connor Bedard, thinking where he is and where the Blackhawks were going, they conveniently, you know, were losing all their players. And uh, Peter Mrazek is their uh, top goalie. You know, that says a little bit there, but they're getting like a Jeremy Roenick, they're getting like their franchise star. Where do you see Bedard as far as? You know, is it too soon to start saying, you know, he's the next McDavid, he's the next Gretzky? Like, where do we see this Bedard thing shaking out for the Blackhawks?
1: I don't think that Bedard will have the immediate impact that somebody like Crosby or McDavid had. Um, but do I think that down the road, and I don't think Bedard is going to end up scoring 50 or 60 goals a season, uh, especially not with the Blackhawks to start with. But do I think he's more in the Connor McDavid mold of all around really good player leadership, uh, that sort of thing? I do. Right. And so that's why I view him as a, a better long-term piece to have than I do with Matthews. Right. Um, but you know, it's so hard to tell, even with first round pick or first overall picks in the, in the league. I mean, Alexis Lafrenier, you know, Patrick Stefan. There are a lot Alexander Day. There are lots of times that guys, it just does not work out the way you expect it to, or they get hurt or or whatever else. I don't, but I don't see anything that's stopping Bedard from becoming one of the top five players in the league within a year or two, maybe by year three, right? Um, so do you know, and You know, from my end of the spectrum, being he's a Canadian, everybody is losing their minds up here waiting for the Bedard cards next year. It's going to be like it was when McDavid came out, right? People are already calling me, well, I want to buy all the product you get when that comes out. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. I have to have product for everybody else. But, you know, there are guys who want to come in and spend five, 10 grand on boxes to put away because they think they're going to be worth three times as much five years from now. That's a big gamble to take. But is it is it possible that he has sort of the same career arc that McDavid does? It is. I, I don't know that he is as flashy as McDavid is. But he could be, if not as good, really, really, really good. Awfully close.
0: How does he avoid the issues as far as becoming the next Alexander Dague, for example. You were around for the Dague years. You know, Dague was a can't-miss prospect. Ottawa Senators, you know, he beat the chest when he put the jersey on, right? Mm -hmm. good-looking guy. Bedard's a good-looking guy. You know, these are, like, our future captains, our future whatevers. What happened to Dague? You know, people forget about him, you know, but he was the can't-miss prospect. Ottawa, this was going to save the franchise.
1: What happened to Dague? Distraction. I think Dague... just there are some guys who I, I view McDavid like this, and I view Crosby like this too. Do you ever hear about Crosby or McDavid doing anything else outside of hockey, other than Never. occasionally, occasionally something to do with charity or something like? I was going to say, yeah, going to
0: a, going to a charity golf tournament,
1: but yeah, or or uh, there was a story not that long ago, I think, about Crosby stopping and taking pictures with somebody at a, a restaurant, right, and then buying their dinner. Before, before you left, you know, that's what you hear about with those guys. What did you hear about pretty quickly with Alexander Digg? Uh I think I want to be in movies, right? I think I want to do this. I think I want to do that. You're either super focused on what you're doing and I'm sorry, but being a professional athlete, I, I think it's pretty difficult to put your eggs in a different basket and, until either the end of your career, until you're finished and then go decide to do something else. Right. I mean, you could, maybe study in the off season to be an actor when you retire or whatever else. But I think if your focus is not, you know, a hundred percent, it's not like in the fifties when you were a baseball player or a hockey player, and then you went and worked in the factory or had a, a job at a car dealership or whatever else in the off season. And then you worked your way back into shape. You know, that three months was four months was kind of downtime for you. It doesn't exist anymore. And By all accounts, I mean, you never know this until somebody gets handed a big contract. And the other thing is the contracts are not so big as a rookie when you're in the NHL that you could just kind of go, well, I'm checking out, right? Maybe for Dag it was. Maybe that was enough money for him to think, oh, I can just do whatever the hell I want, right? But in the NHL generally, it's not like an NBA rookie contract or something like that where it's just here's a pile of money and now work hard here's a pile of money you can sit on and sleep in, in the middle of at home every night, but also work as hard as you did before. I think it's only natural as a, as a human being to think, God, I can take it easy a little bit, you know? So from all accounts, from what I understand from people I know in the CHL and things like that, but Dard is a single-minded hockey guy. I'm going to be the best, absolutely the best hockey player I can be And hopefully that means the number one hockey player in the world. But on top of that, when he had the opportunity to be traded, to go to a team that was going to go to the Memorial cup and maybe win the Memorial cup, he said, no, I'd rather continue playing with my teammates. Right. And see how we do. Maybe we can, maybe I can lift them myself. Maybe we can get as a team, we can do this. So he seems like that type of guy. Will he turn out to be that guy? I don't know. It's it's too hard to, to judge how it affects people, you know, injuries, the fact that the Blackhawks are awful, you know. They're headed in the right direction, though, for sure. You know, and that's another thing about when you talk about conspiracy bill, uh, theories and ping-pong balls and stuff, this is a really good way to kind of bury the past of the Blackhawks from the last few years is to give them Connor Bernard and say, look at this fresh new team, right, you know. I'm not saying that's what happened. I don't believe so. It's just, I don't like the lottery system anyway. I think if you, if you lose, you lose, but I get why you don't want tanking. Right. But I think that Bernard is the kind of person who he seems to be that his focus is where you would hope it would be.
0: Remember when Vincent Lecavier was the Michael Jordan of hockey. Mm-hmm. Remember there was a guy by the name of Alexei Yashin, where there was a man by the name of Mike Milbury, who was the Isaiah Thomas of hockey. And he, Pulled up his owner, Charles Wang, and said, I think we should have the whole team for Alexa Yashin. This guy can't miss. That's why I'm just trying to keep people's expectations to keep in mind there have been these can't miss guys before. Mm. And what happened to Le Calvier? I don't, I don't, he didn't make the Hall of Fame as far as I remember. He'll, I, he did okay. He's,
1: he's on the cusp of that though. He was an awfully good player, right? And won just one cup, maybe two.
0: I wouldn't say though, like it's not on basketball that he didn't do. He certainly did not do it single-handedly and he was no, not, the, no, he was no. certainly not the Michael Jordan of, right. of, uh, of the NHL. And if you put your Mount Rushmore of NHL players, you're never going to see Vincent the Cavier's bust over there. Nor Alexander dig digs movie career. I don't think ended up uh, flying very well, but that's, that's the world of hockey, you know, and uh, these drafts are very interesting, but uh, we wish him well. And if I was going to give Connor Bedard one piece of advice, it's very simple. Uh, besides the fact, never go to a bar, club, pub, any kind during your playing career as much as possible. Number two is um, no social media. Just yeah, get yeah. If, you ha- if you have it, you're going to have a strictly professional one where you're going to put generic expressions like work hard, give 110%. There's no I in team, you know, smiley faces, get somebody else to do that. Who's hired and trained professional. You stay off of it. Never read one word of it. And just do your job, and I think his life will be much easier. Certainly, even Lemieux back in the day, for all Lemieux, like you know, as far as his grumblings and everything, he was more intense as far as being on the ice. But you never mm-hmm. heard about Lemieux in the off season. But these guys were also very fortunate because they played in the age before smartphones, before social media. Oh boy, Wayne! Like when I was a kid, and I used to go down for autographs. The things you saw in the hotel, you would never see that <laughs> ever, <laughs> never, ever again. Ever, 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 you know, it's a, it's a different time, a different space. Now we're going to shoot over. We're going to finish off today on the world of baseball. And you're going to like this one because I know you're adopted son in Canada. You're an American born and raised, but you've decided to adopt the Canadian ways for whatever reason, Cincinnati Reds, Joey Votto, one of the best hitters of our generation. He's been gone for almost a year. And the day of taping here last night, he made his return almost a year away. And what did he do in his return? All he did was hit a home run. Uh, how cool is it to have Votto back? Uh, I don't know if you've been following the Reds, but they are a powerhouse. It's amazing when you suck for so many years and you accumulate draft picks, how good you can be. Wayne, they have like 12 hitters and they can only hit field nine of them. Like they become a real powerhouse there. It's pretty freaking cool. And having Votto... This is probably Votto's last year back with the Reds. He's going to have a player option that will not be picked up, so he's going to get bought out. But uh, tell us your thoughts as far as Joey Votto, the Reds. Where are you at?
1: Well, it's it's great to have him back playing, first off. I mean, there are very, very few guys that I look at them and I think as much as as great of a baseball player as Joey Votto is, he seems to be an even better guy. Like, he just seems to enjoy baseball so much. And he just seems to enjoy enjoying baseball with other people who enjoy baseball so much. I mean, the pictures of him sitting on the, on, you know, by the nets, talking to kids behind the stands or talking to pretty girls, right. Or whatever, you know, he, Sitting he just, in the stands, sitting in the stands. Yes, with them. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I mean, and, and, and John with guys at first base and all that kind of thing. It's just good to have that back in the, in the game, you know, It's wonderful that he hit a home run in his first game back. The thing that I think maybe uh, impressed me more, guy's been on the bench for a year almost. He also drew a walk. He went three for four with a home run. But what's Joey Dovato do better than anybody else? He drew a walk. So how in the world, after you sitting out for almost a year, do you have the play patience and the discipline, you know the whole crowd is there to see you swing the bat, and you took a walk. That says more to me about Joey Votto than anything else you could say about him almost, right? So, yeah, it's terrific to have him back. I, do I want Joey Votto to sign with the Blue Jays next year? Do I think the Blue Jays have their heads out of their butts far enough to know that he would be worth signing? I almost hope he doesn't. I would, I would, I would just prefer... You know what? That's totally. I'm not going to begrudge Joey Votto going somewhere to play another year or two. I think he still has things to offer teams, especially if he goes to a team where he can DH. I, I definitely think, although he's, I think he's still a capable first baseman, but but that's gonna that's gonna go downhill farther and farther, right? But you know, it kind of to me is ten years ago, or gosh, I guess it's farther farther than that, right? When Barry Bonds was towards the end of his career, and I remember telling somebody, "Why would the Jays not go out and sign him?" Remember when nobody wanted to sign him, right? Give him fifteen million dollars and let him walk twice a game. Give him two million, whatever. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference, right? You know, go sign that guy. I think Joey Votto could help your team for sure, right? Even at the age of forty, even if he only played in a hundred games and had three or four hundred at bats, he's still going to be able to walk. He can still fill in at first base. He would still be a great influence on everybody else around you in the clubhouse. That's kind of why I wonder that player option for next year. I don't know what the, I don't know what the tag on it is. Right. But would, would they almost consider bringing Gatto back as a player coach? You almost never see that anymore. Right. But then say, okay, well, we're going to put you in a different role but you're still on the active roster. We can. You're still going to be the backup for a spaceman now, right? And just to have him in there to guide the rest of that team, because it is a very young team, right? I But I I kind of suspect at the end of this year, Votto, if the, the Reds, they can't work something out, I, I think he'll retire.
0: So this is where I'm stuck with this, Wayne, because this is one of the few times, because to me, in this type of situation, he's a hometown boy with the Blue Jays, grew up in Etobicoke. He's gone back to his uh, high school. He's gone back to the city. He's an ambassador to the game, ambassador to everywhere he touches. Yes. And so there's a fitting way for him to retire as a Blue Jay and his hometown and everything else. But the truth is he has no real connection here in that he was drafted and his whole career was with the Reds. Yeah. And where I'm stuck with this, I want to see him retire as a Red. I want to see him finish it off. I want to see a statue outside the ballpark because he's earned it. Certainly he's been a leader, you know, I, I think he's done everything possible for that team as far as leadership goes, but following the reds, as I have this year, we got a problem. We got a giant freaking problem in that we got way too many talented players. We got Encarnacion strand. Who's got a, uh, what a 750 slug, a 500 OBP in triple a, like he's got nothing left to prove. Like, but you got a million of these first baseman, third baseman, DH dudes uh, hanging around And they're all very talented, and you got to bring the pipeline in it, and you got to have a certain payroll, but they need pitching. So, the way I'm seeing it going down, we got to trade one or two of these guys. We got to get some amazing, amazing pitching back, and we got to figure out a way, but we don't want to pull what the Twins did, where we traded a 400 hitter for an okay pitcher. We got to keep our hitting as much as possible, but I'm trying to slot him through. You Know Will Myers is coming back too. Like everybody's coming back and they got all these players. Uh Moustakis is there, I think. Like everybody's oh. there, plus their young hitters. But if I'm them, I if you're gonna get rid of Votto, you're gonna have to eat the contract. If I'm eating the contract, I'm keeping the player because I want the stats, I want the leadership, everything else, and you never know. He could still get injured tomorrow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think it's 30 million or something, and then they're gonna buy him out for seven million. Buy him out for seven million, make him a deal, bring him back for a couple mil at that point. But as long as he wants to play, I think you have to keep him in Cincinnati. We got to find a way, and that's the way all there is to it. But as a small market city, I think at the end of the day, my feeling if I'm a betting man, he is not a Cincinnati Cincinnati Red next year. And simply the dollars don't make sense for them. And the talent pool, they have to let those players play. They, they, they've earned it. Like I've just been watching them. You watch uh Matt McClain and you watch uh uh Dela Cruz. Uh Ellie Cruz, like, wow, like the, their pipeline way, they have a bunch of guys that are all would be first round draft picks right now. And they're all coming up together. They're going to be a really, really scary team.
1: Well, and I think maybe the best thing you can say about Joey Votto is, is that I'm sure Joey Votto is thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah. I would love to come back here next year, but that's probably not going to work out in the best interest of the team. Yeah. I would love to be playing every day, but There are a lot of young kids who are better than I am or equal is the equal of me right now. And I'm sure that's on Joey Votto's mind too. Look, nobody wants the Cincinnati Reds to win a world series more than Joey Votto does. Right. And hopefully it means that Joey Votto can be there playing or in some capacity with the team when they do that, but it may not work out that way. And would I love for him to come to Toronto for one year and finish up? I mean, not in the sense that I want to see him in another uniform, but I would love to see him if it can't be in Cincinnati and he does want to play for one more year, then I would love for it to be in Toronto. Right. I think we say goodbye to Brandon belt.
0: Uh, It was nice seeing you. And uh, we got our new first base DH. Mm -hmm. And as we're ending today's episode, we had a couple of rants today. I've been saving the best rant for last. So I know you brought up one of these names before, but we're going to talk about two of them. Wayne, I'm going to say two names. Get ready. Alec Manoa, Bob Bichette, go.
1: Start with Manoa. Um, you, mean he, Hall- you mean Roy? You mean Royal two Why does nobody want to talk about the fact that he's fat? I don't
0: Manoa is I, 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 I don't think we'd say the word fat. I think we have to say uh, no, no. It, it's,
1: he's he's fat. He's forty or fifty pounds overweight.
0: So not phat.
1: Yeah, no, not not in a good sense. Like he's dropping fat beats. No, he's needs to drop some fat pounds. Is what he needs to do. Look, I I I don't want to say that that's the reason that Manoa is having the struggles he's having. I think that there are a kind of a confluence of things. He's overweight. The league has a book on him now. I think he was tipping his slider. I think we know that. I mean, Aaron Judge proved that, but I think we know that. And it was given to me uh, by somebody who I won't mention here, who had the same thought that I did, but somebody who is a pretty well-known media person, that um, last year, I believe that Manoa was the 12th slowest pitcher in the league, which he was over 20. It was either 20.5 or 21 seconds per pitch, right? and what did manoa do in a lot of those instances he was circling around behind the mound breathing catching his breath getting himself back to you know to set right well here all of a sudden now you can't do that anymore right and now he's pitching in 14 or 15 or 16 seconds now that doesn't explain how he gets shelled 6 for 6 runs in a third of an inning but i think when you get to that point he, i think he's so discombobulated by a certain number of th- a certain uh, confluence of factors, those things that I just named, that he just fell apart. And for a pitcher emotionally to just have no confidence in what you're throwing and to think at some point, as a pitcher, you have to think they, they're reading my pitches. What am I doing? Right. And now you're thinking about that instead of pitching. You know, this is not an easy gig. Uh, do I think Manoa will be back? I absolutely think Manoa will be back. He's way too talented not to be. But I also think that the Jays were not doing him any many favors by continually running him out there when he was—you could tell—he was his confidence was absolutely destroyed. So that was two or three starts at least too late for me. And they should have just said, you know what, dude, go back to the instructional league for a month, and we'll we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll be here when you get back, right, when you get it back, when you figure out how to pitch in the pitch clock thing. I also – I brought up to you by a customer, and I, I had not thought about this. It's a pretty interesting theory. He swears that if you watch the footage of Manoa pitching, when they go into their delivery, they shut the pitch clock off, right, and it flashes as it goes off. And he said it almost looks like every time Manoa goes to pitch – he blinks or he flinches a little bit when the thing go, the lights go off on the plant, the pitch clock. And I thought, wouldn't that be crazy if that was it is it was making, it was screwing his delivery up because he was flinching in the middle of pitching or whatever else. Now I haven't heard anybody else bring that up and I haven't gone into, I need to go in and do some, uh, look at some footage and stuff like that. But is that possible? Well, I happen to be very susceptible to bright lights. Like if I get hit with he- like really bright headlights, I get a migraine, right? Is it possible that Alec Manoa has some sort of visceral response to the flash of the lights and it, it's been messing with him? I don't know. I think that's kind of a far out there theory, but I don't think it's any wackier than some of the other things I've heard about him. Like, you know, he's been eating. It's it's all dietary or it's – it's uh you know, it's a, a, myriad, a myriad of other things. Usually what it is, is it's a lot of small things and they all came together at once for him, right?
0: Well, I'll let you do that research for us and find out if the blinking lights is what's doing it. The one thing, I, I only had one theory and you didn't discuss any of it. You had every other theory humanly <laughs> possible. I'll tell you my problem with him is this. He's got posters of Marcus Stroman up on his wall. And so he loves Marcus Stroman. (laughs) He's been growing up Marcus Stroman. He watches the Twitter fights, and he's like, "That's for me. This is the way I'm gonna succeed in life. Is I'm gonna follow Marcus Stroman's lead, and I'm gonna take no guff." So when it's one thing when you're gonna be out there in the All Star game, and you know everybody's congratulating you, and you're shooting your mouth off on Garrett Cole, he's the biggest cheater, and you know, spewing off on social media, but when you become not so good anymore, you know, like. If, if, I, if I'm Garrett Cole and I get approached the Yankee Stadium uh, dugout by the media and they're saying, so what do you think now of Alec Manolo? You know what I'd be saying? You know what? Uh, I wish him all the best. You know, I'm sorry to see that. Taking the right guy approach and the mm-hmm. quiet approach, which is what everybody's doing basically. But some people have hinted. They said, we told you so. Maybe you shouldn't run your mouth so much until you actually are able to deliver it. What I'm saying, Wayne, it was a little too soon. You know, you haven't been in the league for five years. You know, you haven't won a Cy Young Award. You haven't won a World Series. You haven't earned squat yet. It's your first year. I see you're doing well, but spewing off as you did. Like, look at Strowman now, okay? Strowman, I love it in Chicago. This is the best city, but I want an extension. And I keep asking for an extension and they won't give me an extension. I don't understand why negotiating through the media and through the public never gets you anywhere really good, you know, in life. Yeah. And I've heard rumors that the Jays are interested in a reunion with Strowman. Can you imagine Strowman and Manoa in the clubhouse together? Either they're going to band together or they're going to fight, but either way, it's not going to end well. The only thing I miss of Strowman, do you remember Earl? Is that, have you ever seen Earl Strowman? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. He is jacked. (laughs)
0: <laughs> he, he's like three Marcus strowman's like he is a big boy. I love Earl. I want to meet Earl. I'd love to get Earl on the podcast. I'd love to go weightlift with Earl. Earl Stroman's amazing, but Earl's also a guy, just seems like he's a quiet guy, just goes about his business and weightlifts. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at his son, he's like, What is does Earl ever pull him aside? son, he
1: quiet. Yeah, I, I. Oh, man, I'm not the biggest Marcus Stroman fan. I wasn't the biggest Marcus Stroman fan when he was here. Look, and again, I don't have a problem with demonstrative players. I don't mind a fist bump when you strike a guy out. But the whole kind of screaming and jumping around and then mouthing off through the media, "Ah, I don't need that. No, no thank you, right? So would I take him back under the right contract, you know, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I think there's subtraction by addition possibilities too. Right. You know, and I, no, I, I take that back. I, I wouldn't want him back even on a million dollar contract. I don't think so. Cause he's going
0: to come in. You remember how he said he'd never play for the Yankees, how much he hates New York. Same thing with Manoa. Uh, I don't Stroman in that clubhouse, you know, they got rid of the home run jacket. They want to keep it professional i don't see it i i know it's not gonna work you know even with you know with manoa difference you know he, he followed the roy halliday formula as far as the implosion going down a rookie ball but roy Holiday was a quiet dude doc halliday you never heard anything from him he just played the game he did it the right way mm-hmm. you know and you know left us too soon obviously for his own you know battles and demons etc But, you know, uh, comparing Manoa and Holiday, the only difference is I I don't know if Manoa knows how to be quiet. Like, I don't I think he's like Strowman. I don't think he has a leash. And the problem is when you have your handlers, you keep the people around you that tell you how great you are because you really buy into it. And if somebody tells you, you know, I really don't think you should be doing this, that, usually you get rid of them because you think you're bigger than the game. You're bigger than the system, you know. Well, we'll see.
1: We'll see if this this trip down. Maybe changes that a little bit for him too, right? Maybe he thinks I've been paying too much attention to other things and, and not not this. I don't know. It'll be a it'll be a big factor in, you know, going forward. We'll see if he comes back and he kind of puts his head down and just says when the media comes to him and asks some questions and stuff, he just says I you know I don't want to talk about that or I'm very happy to be back and that's enough, right? We'll see if he kind of if he falls back into that, but if he comes back and has some success then immediately goes back to that, that same pattern. I don't know. Again, I'm not against people. I, I I'm not against people expressing their opinions. Um, It's I would prefer that you said whatever horrible thing it is that you're thinking, because I want to be able to know what you're thinking and I can judge you that way. You know, that's why I'm almost an absolute, uh, a free speech absolutist. Let people say whatever they want. However horrible it is, because then I know who they are. Right. And I can say, yeah, you're a moron and I don't want anything to do with you. And hopefully everybody else will come to the same conclusion. Right. I'm not saying that Alex Manoa is going to say anything horrible that would make me think, oh, you're a terrible person. But it does make me think that maybe your focus isn't where it should be. And, right. you got
0: an, and you got enough leaders in that clubhouse. You got the Varshals of this world, Bassett, yep. you know, you got the Brandon Bell to this world. You, you got these professional guys to pull the Alejandro Kirks and the Vladimir Guerreros aside and say, guys, you know, but a guy like Guerrero, a guy like Bo Bichette, second generation players, you know. They grew up in the system. They had dads that told them, you know, how to go about it. You know, Dante Bichette Mm -hmm. was the guy who kept his head down. You know, Vlad Vlad Sr., you never really heard anything from him. And Bo Bichette, you know, he's an interesting guy. The last guy I want to bring up for today. Interesting dude because, you know, it's been very frustrating watching Blue Jay games this year. Absolutely frustrating. It usually begins and ends with the pitching. You got the Jose Berrios's and, you know, they, they have coochies where they, you know, shutouts one game, implosions the next. It's just, but I think it's masking part of the issue what you brought up. And I've been watching that field. I think it's time to move off Bo Bichette from where he's at. I think that he, he's his hitting is great. I think he is a good athlete, a great athlete. I just think, you know, it's time to move. I, I, I really see him as a third baseman or a corner outfielder. Am I nuts?
1: No. No, he ranks. If you go to the, the, the defensive metrics, he ranks pretty much in all defensive metrics in the bottom third. Of and I think that's generous. Um, in terms of, I believe runs allowed, he's last or very close, right? And you're 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 not wrong. Look, there there was a switch when Cal Ripken came in. That Ripken was this big, rangy. Shortstop who could hit a ton, and then there was Alex, and then there was Jeter, it was a hitter, right? Um, Nomar, Nomar, right? You know, all these guys, and then there was like, okay, so we're getting all this offensive production, but those guys were all good shortstops, too, right? Jeter's overrated as a shortstop, but he was a good shortstop.
0: No, I'm not a Jeter fan, per yeah, si. I, well, I, 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 like, I, I do. Like- I like the gift baskets, but that's uh, another story for another day. Look,
1: I I, I really like Derek Jeter. I, I mean, he's a great leader. He was a really good, a really good hitter, and he was a pretty good shortstop. Not amazing, pretty good, right? Not the tools that say Rodriguez or or Nomar had or whatever. But but anyway, you know. And here we are, thirty some odd forty years later, and now it's kind of like we don't really even think about what the shortstop can do, right? You know who the number one rated defensive shortstop is in baseball right now?
0: Can't think of him off the top of
1: my head. That's exactly the point. 40 years ago, if I asked you, who's the number one defensive shortstop in baseball, it's Ozzie Smith. Or Omar Vizquel. Or or Omar Vizquel right after that, right? You very clearly could tell without the metrics, you could tell who was a good shortstop and who wasn't a good shortstop. You could tell who was a good second baseman and not a good second baseman. And now we have all these metrics for defensive stats, and it seems to obfuscate the fact that the guy just doesn't play the position all that well, right? He's He makes some spectacular plays, but I don't want to shortstop. It's like I said last, last time we talked about this. Give me John McDonald, right, and put Bo Bichette in right field or left field or even play him at second base. I'm okay with him at second base.
0: I got a solution for you. Matt Chapman is a free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. He ain't come back. No, probably not. Not the dollars that he's going to command. It ain't going to happen. Uh, let's put him at third base.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he could play third base, but I still think his arm is so erratic. Yeah. That I have some, I have some difficulty thinking that he would not struggle at third base also. Right. I think if you put him in right field, or if you put him at second base, you know, you can mask some issues at second base defensively because it's not the position that shortstop is, right? But I just can't imagine how frustrating it is. Look, I'm not saying that the pitching staff of the Blue Jays doesn't love when Bo Bichette drives two doubles and drives in three runs and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But I also can't imagine that every time a ground ball is hit the shortstop that the pitchers aren't going and clinching up because where's the ball gonna end up? Like every second play, he's double clutching on the throw, right? At least at second base, it's not such a such a difficult throw, right? You're not put in that position to go in the hole or make quick throws as quickly uh, uh, to get the ball off as quickly, right? And in right field, it's not such a big deal either. The guy is an incredible hitter, the best, despite the fact that oh my god, take a walk every once in a while. But look, I get it. You you you. You, as the Blue Jays, have resigned yourself to the fact that he walks. What was the last time? I think they said the other day he took a walk. That was the first time in 21 games he had taken a walk. That seems almost impossible, but whatever, right? The guy's hitting what he's hitting. His OPS is is what it is. His slugging percentage is good. Great for a shortstop or a second baseman. Okay, I'm not going to mess with his style too much, right? But he's just he's simply in the wrong position on the field right now.
0: The three generals to me on a baseball field are the catcher, the shortstop and the center fielder. Those are the yep. key positions. And so for me, let's go down to Venezuela. Let's find us a shortstop. Let's find another Omar Vizquel. I agree with you because it's that run differential. It's it's a huge thing when you have a Hoover out there. Certainly, I'm gonna give you a little hint. We, you and I going way back now. Well, this is like over 20 years, I think. We were in a fantasy baseball league together that I brought you into, and we were in there for a couple of years together. And I won two years in a row. But one of the years that I won, you want to know how I did it?
1: Tell me. Very very
0: simple. I looked at this and I said, I don't care what our stats are in our, in our, every, every league has their own different stats a little bit. I said, on my team, I want the hitters to walk the most, and I want the pitchers to give up the least amount of walks. Right. As a hitter, you can know how to take a walk. You know, you know, you're going to get hit. You're going to get a good, good pitches to hit. If you're a pitcher, you give yourself better chance to succeed. If you give up the least amount of walks, I demolished the league that year. Nobody knew how I did it in the draft and how I came about it. Those are the only two stats that I watched. I looked up and I got the most amount of hit, most amount of walks for hitters, least amount of walks given up as pitchers. And I had security all year. It was fantastic.
1: Well, you, when you look at, and that's a really sound strategy for building a team too, right? When you look at hitters who can take a walk, you're right. They know they're, I believe they call it now what reach rate. Right. And, yeah, and Bo, Bo Bo Bichette is like right at the bottom of the league or real close to the bottom of the league, bottom quarter for swinging pitches that are out of the strike zone. Right. Um, you know that if a guy can take a pitch, you know that he knows what the good pitch to hit is, too. Right. And for a guy who doesn't walk anybody, you know that that guy is throwing a lot of balls on the outside corner of the plate. Then you know that that guy knows how to pitch. Right. And he understands and he has confidence in his stuff enough to think it's three and two. And I'm gonna throw my slider on the outside corner because my stuff is good enough that that guy's gonna have to swing at it. And the worst that's gonna happen is he's gonna follow it off. Right. That it's confidence more than anything else. It's the ability to throw the ball where you wanna throw the ball. And we've gotten away from a lot a lot of that kind of stuff. And that's not a, you know. You can tie that back to Bo too. Part of being a really good shortstop is having the confidence that when you let the ball go, it's going where you think it's going. Double clutching all the time means you don't think it's, you don't know where the ball's going, right? Not that it's not going to get there. Not that Bo isn't a really good athlete, but he's thinking about it. He's thinking about, holy crap, am I going to Chuck Knoblock this? Or Steve Sachs it up into the third row, right? It's the yips kind of to a certain extent, right?
0: As soon as you think about it, you're done. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: 100%. And
0: that's where the Reds, you know, when I've been watching them as hitters and where they're headed as a team, one of the things I like, if you go look at the box score, it's full of numbers because they're young hitters. They're young hitters are taking walks almost every game, know how to steal bases. When you have hitters, they're going one for three with a walk every single game. Good things are going to happen for you.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, think about the fact that, so many guys and i understand first pitch swinging i was it's, i mean i was not a good baseball player i was an average baseball player at best but i almost never swung for i in fact i maybe maybe five times in my life i swung at the first pitch right um i always wanted to look and see what the pitch what the pitcher was doing i wanted to see his motion and things like that but on in the major league level now especially now think about how valuable it is to get guys who go say four or five pitches deep per at bat you get one hit in an inning right you put, send four guys up and you average 15 pitches an inning by the 6th inning the pitching coach is thinking boy we're almost at the point where we got to pull the starter right the deeper the faster you can get into the bullpen the better off you are and if you go up swinging at the first pitch every time or swinging at every bitch that hits in the hits in the dirt You're just letting that guy, their best pitcher that day, that's why he's the starter, you're letting that guy stay in the game until the sixth or seventh inning, right? My gosh, is there anything more valuable? I remember a story, I believe it was Louis Apricio, who's in the Hall of Fame shortstop for the White Sox, who got into an argument about he wanted some baseballs to give to his family who were coming to see him play. And the White Sox organization said, no, nah, we're not going to give any baseballs. They're too expensive. So what did he do? He fouled 22 straight pitches off into the stands. 22. Now you tell me who's capable of doing that now. These guys can't even bunt, right? Well, Varsho can. But most of the other guys can't bunt. you know, it's bat it's bat control and having a better idea of what you're doing at the plate. Like, I, again, it's hard for me to fault Bo Bichette. I'm not going to tell Bo Bichette, you should totally change what you're doing. He's doing fine as he is as a hitter, right? But there's a lot of other guys that you think, Man, alive, dude, take a pitch. Work work for Moneyball, right? Uh, get deeper in, and wear these guys out. By the third series, third game of the series, now you've worn their bullpen down too. And you have a better chance at the back end. So I just... Man, I I don't I don't want to be the guy who craps all over shed. He seems like a nice guy. I like his hair. The ladies like him. He's a very good athlete. He's fun to watch at the plate. Uh, well, he's not fun to watch at the plate. He drives me nuts sometimes by not taking walks. But he's very successful. But he's just in the wrong spot. He needs to either play second base or right field.
0: If it were me, he should go hang out with Joey Votto in the offseason, get a buzz cut, and learn, <laughs> and learn how to take a walk and take it more seriously. Oh, my
1: God. Could you imagine if he showed up with a buzz cut at spring training next year?
0: But I'm telling you, he'll take more walks if he gets a buzz cut. I'm you, the the <laughs> hair, he thinks it's a free swinger. It's, it's all about the hair at the end of the day. Wayne Frazier of Doug Laurie Sports, you are a miracle of sports knowledge going across leagues. If there, If it's happened, you know about it. Uh, Thank you for sharing your insights and wisdom as you do with us uh, every month. And how are things at Doug Laurie Sports? And any last thoughts as we sign off today on the world of memorabilia? We talked about the Blue Jays jacket. We talked about the TTC jacket with Drake. Any last uh, words on memorabilia? Uh,
1: I would say that, you know, we just had a show here over the weekend. We had about 40 tables of vendors here. We had another solid weekend. Um, You know, the card market is quiet right now. Uh, A lot of basketball people and stuff are, you know, kind of freaking out of um, that market stuff is, you know, those cards have just crashed, right? A lot of that stuff, right? So. um, You
0: mean but, $300, $500 for Trey Young Rookie Card was not a good investment?
1: Uh, No, no, it was not a good investment. And now it's like maybe 30 bucks, right? If you're lucky. The other thing I will say is that we are currently taking donations. Uh, I am running a charity auction where all the proceeds are going to benefit the Simcoe County Downs Syndrome Association. One of my customers, Jody, comes in with his daughter, Claire, Pretty frequently, uh fantastic family. We got some great donations in over the weekend. I now have autographed hockey jerseys for uh Rangers Sergey Zubov, but I also have a Jack Eichel uh, Buffalo and a Max Petcheretti Vegas. We had a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Autographed Blue Jays jersey donated. Uh we have all kinds of other interesting pieces. Uh that auction will go live uh the 17th of July through the 31st. I will start building it and I'm sure we'll do a podcast either during that or right before that. And I'll talk about it again. So two things, if you'd like to make a donation to, uh, to the auction, you can reach out to me at douglorysports.com and message me through there or through our Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter or however you want to reach us. We'll be very glad to happy have you. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Chuck's roadhouse. They just gave us a nice gift basket. I think we're going to be getting some stuff from Chick-fil-A I hope and a couple of other places. But, I mean, we have cards. We have a hockey stick from the first year of the Mississauga Ice Dogs, uh, fully team signed with Don Cherry. So if you'd like to make a donation, we'll definitely put your name and your logo in the auction. And if you're interested in bidding, you can sign up on our platform, Com. Just Google Doug Laurie Auctions. And we run auctions every – actually, now it's almost every week but at least one every couple of weeks. And you can always go in there and find some interesting stuff. But uh, we're very excited about that. I'm not keeping even the cost of running the auction and everything. Uh, there's nothing I'm keeping. All of it is going to the Down Syndrome Foundation here. So
0: 100% charity. Love it. Get in touch with Wayne. Help support a great cause at Doug Lorry Sports, Doug Lurie Auctions. Wayne Frazier, always a pleasure, my friend. And we'll see you back real soon on The Chosen Life. Thank you very much. You got it. Thanks for having me, Jonathan.